All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with all of you guys. 50. Woo. Can I keep saying it out loud? 50, 50, 50, 50. I'll get there someday. I, uh, it's good. It's good. I'm glad you guys are here today. It's good to be just with you. You know, I was sitting back there just thinking, man, su- such a precious deal to have a family like this, you know, and to be a part of it and the community there. I really want to see that grow. So thank you for sharing what that means. So um, some of you are aware that the first skiers actually didn't have their heels attached to their... <clears throat> and while some today, you know, claim that heels should be fixed... <clears throat> there is a group of young, uh, younger kids in our community that went to Grand Targhee for uh, this national telemark championship. And one of our kids, Dane DeFrades, won in his age group. So, whoo, Dane. Um, that's pretty cool. Bringing back the real deal. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm getting a lot of looks up here for that. But uh, so cool that he did that. We're proud of him. And um, so that took a lot of work. And I, I think if you read in the paper, it said that he had it wrapped up by his last run. He didn't have to even do it. He just ski down and be done. But he just went for it, you know, and just let it all hang out. And he, and he won. He just dominated it. So that's cool. Um, just thought I'd pass that along. Another little thing I'll pass along is that I've, there's, there are a few things that I have observed in life that I think are true, that I didn't read in the Bible, and I think they're just kind of principles. So this is, this is, the, this is the, I'm postulating this to you. But, and I'm speaking of men, I don't know about women, but men stop maturing at about 13. Okay? So, you know, what this means is that Dane has matured. He's done. It's at the peak, you know. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, anytime I bring this up with men and we're just being honest, you know, we still, we still want girls to think we're cool. You know, we still, no matter how old you are, you, you still think that peeling out and turning up your stereo loud is something that girls like. <laughs> it's true. And Matt's 21. He believes that. I still believe it somewhere deep down inside. I do things and I look back and think, what was I? Or people tell me that I did things. I, what was I thinking? You know, how did that come out of my mouth? Where, you know, the judgment, the things that, that you know. And, and, of course, if you ask a, a spouse or wife or girlfriend or something, there's always agreement. Yeah. I stopped there. Um, so, anyway, that's the thing for, for older men, for men as they grow, uh, we just get a better filter. We just build up a little bit better filter. Our toys cost more. Um, and the consequences of the dumb things that we do are much greater. <laughs> but anyway, that's my little theorem. I'm throwing it out to you. You can talk about it and see if it's true or not. But uh, one, one reason I, I bring that up is that this, the, a principle that we're going to see today as we, as we get into the next part of our series on, on Jesus' last words is that all of us from birth male or female, whatever, whoever and whatever you are, we 
desire for someone to love us sacrificially. We desire that. Deep, deep inside of ourselves, no matter what we tell ourselves, we desire to be loved by someone sacrificially. And so as, as we're coming to uh, this, we're following Jesus from, from the last Passover meal he has with the disciples and following even resurrection and, 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 and beyond, and hearing some of the statements that he makes that resonate, that we've heard through history and, and in our lives. And uh, the, uh, the one that we're going to look at today is when Jesus says, God, if, if there's any way that you can do this, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. And the process that Jesus is going through there is, show, is going to show us how much he loves us, sacrificially. Uh, and here's, uh, well, let me, let me read it to you. Let's read it together. We'll put it up on the, on the board. It's Mark 14. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. Yes, Gethsemane. Which means, it means the olive press. It's a garden where they did this and he says, Jesus says to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and they went away a little bit, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground. And he prayed, if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found the disciples sleeping. And he said, Peter, Simon, are you asleep? You know, Simon was his given name. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they didn't know what to answer him. And he came a third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man, Jesus, is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. And here's the main thing that I, I want us all to see. That Jesus was willing to lose his life for us so that he would not lose us. And let me say that more personally. He loves you enough that he was willing to lose himself so that he would not lose you. He was willing to lose himself so that he would not lose you. And what I'd like to ask you to do as we just unfold this passage and walk through it a little bit is just to let that truth sink in. Just let it settle in um, and, and take a deep breath and just rest in that. And as you walk out from here today, as you go out into, into your life, and no matter where you are, whatever you're relationships are like, whatever the love that's coming towards you looks like, this you can know. 
that he would rather lose himself than lose you. So three things that I want to point out as we walk through the passage. One is wrath, one is recipients, and one is reality. Wrath, recipients, and reality. Those are the three things we're going to talk through. And we're going to start with wrath. We're going to go into the deep end of this real quickly. And uh, I think you'll understand why I'm I'm starting there as, as we move through. Read 36 with me. And he said, Jesus said, he's praying, Abba, Father, Daddy, he says, all things are possible with you. Please remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So what is that cup that he's talking about? What does that mean? It's obviously a metaphor. The cup that he's talking about is God's wrath. And that metaphor for his wrath, what is poured out upon transgression against him that is sin, in this world, often in the scripture, um, is, is referred to as a cup. It's a cup that is poured out. And so this metaphor, Jesus is pulling it through and he's, he's using it for himself. And here, here's the deal. Um, Jesus, let me say it this way. You and I are actually responsible for that cup. Each one of us is responsible for the cup because... We have inherited the sin of Adam. We have inherited rebellion in our DNA, in our humanness. We are in sin before God. We are in a broken relationship with him. So we've inherited that cup. But God set up this system with the Hebrews where the sacrifice of an animal was a symbolic uh, representation of something that would take the place of that cup. That cup would fall out on that animal instead of us instead of humans. And so, week after week, year after year, for generations, an animal was sacrificed in order for the cup to be poured onto the animal, essentially, and blood was shed. In other words, life was given. Jesus, as we saw last week in this this Passover meal, he is now the new lamb. He is the permanent, absolute, Lamb of God, who will take upon him all of the the wrath that is due to each one of us. So we're responsible, but he takes it on. He is the true lamb, okay? So it's it's going to be completed in him. This is a really important theological thing that we need to get in our head, a truth that comes from the scripture. And if you look, uh, if you look, look at verse 33. Jesus is surprised by the intensity of what's going to come upon him in this cup. 33 says, And he took with him Peter and James and John, and they began to be deeply distressed, or greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to these guys, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Now think about Jesus for a second. Jesus is, through his life, he's always been the picture of confidence, right? Right? I mean, from the earliest age, he like le- his parents leave and he stays in the temple as a little guy. He's, he's totally independent. He's fine. And then in ministry, he, is, you know, he always knows, like he's asleep in the boat, right? The waves, and the disciples are freaking out. He's calm. Even if you read John and you read about the Last Supper, this Passover meal, 
um, Jesus is, he, he tells them th- over and over all these different things about the confidence they can have in what God is doing. And just this litany of, of small speeches, and they're all full of confidence. And then he takes them to this scene on the Mount of Olives, and suddenly everything changes. Suddenly the guy that's had so much confidence has no confidence. He's full of fear. He's troubled even to the point of death. Now, so the guy that you've been following and is absolutely strong and always had the answer and always known, and suddenly he thinks he's going to die. It's so, he's so troubled. And the word actually for troubled, another way that that is translated is astonished. He was surprised by the intensity. You've ever, ever gotten close to a you know, fire? You're like, this, is, oh, this feels so good. And suddenly your shoes are on fire. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, you know, this, I got too close. I, God has, has revealed to him a little bit of the cup of wrath that's going to come upon him. So this this uh, confident Savior, this confident leader is suddenly um, shaken, utterly shaken. And here, here's the thing, and I know that at least 95% of you are struggling with this. Uh, how can we have a loving God who is wrathful? This doesn't make sense. I thought God was supposed to be love. But instead you're telling me he's going to pour out wrath and kill an animal and kill Jesus and this kind of thing. That's a hard thing to wrap our minds. That's why I said this is the deep end. But let me, let me make this statement to you and you can, let it, you can wrestle with it. You cannot have, there is, it's not possible to have a loving God who is not also wrathful. Okay? You cannot have a loving God who is not also wrathful. And I can't give you a perfect illustration of this, but let me share this one. Let's take yourself back to elementary school. Like, for me, it's like 20 years ago, 25. Um, And you're there, you're on the playground. It's recess. Guys, all us 13-year-olds, recess. Tag, we're having fun, there's lava. <laughs> we're playing, and we have it, and just now I want you to also p- picture your favorite teacher, the one teacher you know loved you and loved everybody, you know, because that's that teacher who's like that. Everyone knows that their love wanted to, they, they have a place, they're growing and, and nurtured in that classroom, in that setting, and they're a recess, and that teacher's there, and there's some kid, some bully on the corner of the, on the playground, just pummeling this helpless kid. Just picture that. And you've probably seen that happen, unfortunately, or been that kid. Uh, and the teacher that you love and you know that, that loves you doesn't do anything. Just doesn't even seem to notice what's happening. And that it happens day after day. That, you know, this one kid keeps beating up this other kid. Or in, so you're, you're questioning your mind, why is this happening? How can this be? You're, you're afraid of the bully, but you're even thinking, I'm going to go do something. Because inside of you is an anger to, and a desire to protect. Whether you love that other person or not. See, even people who don't love understand the need for justice, right? I'm on the playground, I don't want to get involved, but I'm feeling like I need to go over there and defend that kid. And we know that the parents of the kid who's getting hurt are thinking, when they kid, the kid comes home bloody every day, 
something needs to be done to punish this other kid. We know that. It's not unlike that in that when, if the God of the universe just sits by and never makes things right, is he loving? Because the love that we were talking about that you were thinking when I was talking about wrath was like, oh, it's okay. Just don't do that again. You know, you really hurt that person. Or, what? you know, you can, in evil in our world, we can go as far as we want. Oh, it's okay. That's not love. That's just, you know, kicking some good vibes out to you. We're talking about something much bigger than that and greater when we're talking about the God of the universe. Go to sleep and think about it. Put yourself to bed thinking about this idea. There is no loving God who is not wrathful because he hates the fact that we have been, our relationship has been broken and we are breaking that relationship. I have to, uh, I have to, to give credit to Tim Keller in this because um, he has, this guy, he can, on this issue is fantastic. And he brought, I was listening to him about this and he brought up a, uh, a quote from C.S. Lewis and I want to read it to you. It's in a book that C.S. Lewis wrote called Letters to Malcolm. So his friend Malcolm didn't like the idea of an angry God, of a God who is personally angry. And it's, by the way, it's okay to, to struggle with this. It's okay to, to, for this to be hard. Okay, I'm telling you this information so you can wrestle with it with God, not with me. I like to think, this is Malcolm, of God's justice more like a live electrical wire a live electrical wire does not get angry. If you break the rules of electricity, it shocks you. That makes sense. So if you break the rules of God's justice, you get shocked. I just don't like the idea that God gets personally angry. Okay, now listen to Lewis' reply. My dear Malcolm, what do you suppose... What do you suppose that you have gained by substituting the image of a live wire for that of angered majesty? You have shut us up in despair. For the angry can forgive, but electricity cannot. If you turn God's wrath into mere disapproval, and you turn, then you turn his love into mere humanitarianism. If you did not matter to God, he would not want to make things right. Because you matter to God, he is angry. He will make things right. His wrath results in justice. So, I wanted to get the idea of wrath out there and that that's what's happening in this cup that Jesus is receiving. But then I want to talk for a moment about the recipients, not of the wrath, but of the love of Jesus. And, and what I notice, again, you know, I, I said men never change. They stay 13 pretty much forever. But in this case, the followers of Jesus looks like they don't change either. Because most of this passage 
Most of what we read is about the disciples falling asleep. Half of it. I mean, they saw his struggle. Look at verse 34. In 34, Jesus says, My soul is very sorrowful. This should have upset these guys, even to the point of death. Remain here and watch. I'm utterly astonished at what's happening. I can't believe this. And he went a little further away. Like, uh, I think um, Luke's translation says, like a stone's throw. So for me, that's like about the fourth row back there. Um, Not very far. They can see him, and he falls on his face. They're aware of what he's going through. And yet, they fall asleep. He even says, please stay awake. He says, stay awake three times to them, and they never do. Look at 37. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for an hour? In other words, Jesus was praying for an hour. Watch and pray. You may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, despite what I've asked you, I understand. I understand. I uh, I was on a mission trip in southern Mexico um, quite a while ago. I was a high school pastor at that time. And we were, at the end of our trip, we were coming home and we were in a Mexican bus. And in this case, it was kind of a Mexican bus on steroids. It wasn't, you know, just dilapidated, but it was kind of jacked up and for four-wheel driving because we were way out in the woods. And we're going, we're headed back towards Mexico City. It was a long drive. And so one of the kids, he was a senior at that time. Uh, it was the first trip that I had been on with, with, been with him on. It was a pretty intense trip. His name's Chase. Um, he's, he's actually in missions today in Nicaragua. And so we're, uh, we're riding home, and I happen to be in the seat across from him, just like you guys are right here. And I look over, and I see that he's asleep. And I'm like, oh, you know, I get that. He's worn out and everything. And he's asleep like this, and his head's just bobbing. He's, it's not even, and then he starts to hit the seat in front of him. And uh, we, so it's, you know, Mexico, we're, we're bouncing over this road. It's super hot. The windows are open. It's blowing. People are yelling and talking. I mean, you, I don't see how you could really sleep in there. But he's not just asleep. He is out. And the, the funny thing is that he draws a crowd as Chase falls asleep. He's hitting his head. He slumps down. He literally slumps down like this all the way until he falls out into the, into the aisle. And he's in the aisle on his knees. I'm not lying. Slumped over like this. And he falls over onto his face, asleep. And he slides out across the floor, just like that. We, didn't have, we couldn't wake him up because we were laughing so hard at him. I feel a little guilty about it now. Until he's totally stretched out on the floor, completely out, bouncing down the road. Unbelievable. I couldn't help but tell you that story because I just think it's so funny. But he, it's Jesus coming back to the disciples. It had to almost be as incredulous. Like, how can this possibly be happening? How can you be asleep when I've asked you? You've seen the agony that I'm going through. And still, they're asleep. And that's where I think, I, and I'll just put it on myself. I am a hopelessly fickle recipient of the love of Christ. First, I am. I'm hopelessly fickle. He calls me. He shows me, he shows me what he does for me. He gives me his word. He gives me a family and friends that love me and and, uh, my community. And still, I'm asleep. You know, I'm missing it. I'm totally missing it. 
I, 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 I'm, I'm so fickle, I'm, I'm tired, the world and the things, and I'm not looking, my eyes aren't on him, I'm just asleep. And I, he's looking at me going, how can you be in this place? But here's the cool thing. Jesus is brought to the edge of the furnace. He gets a taste of it. He feels it. It's burning him. It is overwhelming him. It's more than he can possibly imagine, and certainly more than we can imagine. And he's far from the cross yet. And he looks over, and we're asleep, and he's still willing to go. I can't think of very many things that would make me want to say, I'm out of here. Then the people that I'm loving have walked with me. But the only ones who get it are asleep. Three times. Does that, that sounds like me. I won't put that on you guys. That sounds like me. Because here we are, Jesus is in the garden. It's, he's about to be arrested. The disciples are asleep. Does he have to stay? I mean, he's the son of God. Does he have to stay? He doesn't have to stay. He doesn't have to do it. And the guys who might encourage him to do, to stay and to go for it, are asleep. But he chooses, because of his love for us, his willingness to take the cup that we deserve, he stays. And he's only tasted, he's only just been astonished by the power of what he's going to face. So, God is wrathful in his love. We've got some fickle recipients of that love. And then finally, there's a, there's a huge bonus in this passage. A huge bonus. And it's, it's this. It's how Jesus deals with reality. And you've, you've looked at it many times. In plain view of his closest friends, on his face, on the ground, he brings his suffering to God. He brings the things that he is hurting over in his life to God. Look at 36. And he says, Daddy, that Abba is the word that the, like Jewish children would use for their father when they were little. All things are possible for you. You could do this another way. Something could remove this cup from me, but not what I will but what you will. I'm suffering. And look at the process of his prayer as it unfolds. Just a little, we leave that up there, a little piece. First, he acknowledges who God is. He's father. He's daddy. He acknowledges the relationship. And then he acknowledges God's sovereignty. He says, you can do all things. And then he makes his request. Please remove this cup from me. And then the beauty of it, the, the thing that helps us learn about how to go through these difficult times. He says, but not my will, but your will be done. That, that might sound familiar to you if you think back to the, the prayer that he taught the disciples. Our Father, who is in heaven, in majesty, sovereign, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day. He puts his needs before, him, before God. But he says, your will be done. You are the one who is in control. And here's why. And I, and I, and I don't want to make this sound easy. But suffering can only have meaning in God. Outside of God, of the one true God of the universe, I'm not talking about anybody's idea of God. I'm talking about this God, the one true God. 
Suffering makes no sense. Check in on other religions. Just check in. Suffering is either about getting out of it or uh, embracing it to the point that you have no meaning anymore. So you can choose one of those paths. This is different because it's about the will of a good creator God. A random, idiotic, meaningless, purposeless, accidental, self-degenerating universe does not give meaning to suffering. There is no meaning. You cannot receive anything from it. It will do you no good. Your only hope is to find a way to avoid it, change the circumstances, or embrace it to the point where it ha- you have no meaning anymore. Or there is a true God and there is a meaning behind it. And Jesus was willing even though he tasted the pain of what he was going to suffer, to turn that to the hands of God and say, I'm willing to go where you have called me to go. Because of our love for these people. And his suffering resulted in our reconciliation. His suffering result the will of God was our reconciliation to him. And by faith, when we trust Jesus to have taken that our place, and we believe that that is what he did, the consequence is the cup is nullified for us because he took it. So when we put our hands in his suffering, we can trust him as a good God to make things right. Um, To conclude, I want to just... Say, uh, repeat what I said at the beginning as the main point. I said, Jesus was willing to lose himself so that he wouldn't lose you and lose me. And that speaks to his love for us, his willingness to do this, this incredible thing that he's just getting a taste of. And y'all, we all want to be loved sacrificially. And this is the love that you're looking for. This love is the love that you and I are looking for. It's the real love. It's the example that we try to follow. But that's what we want. That's what we need. That's what we were wired for. That's why it makes sense in him. So I want to pray this verse from Romans 8. And Lisa referred to it when she prayed earlier. So if you will bow, I'm going to read this as our prayer as we close. Father, what things, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but you gave him up for us all, how will you not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I am sure that neither death nor life or angels, rulers or things present or to come or power, height or depth or any other thing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus our Lord. Amen. You guys have a great afternoon and week. If you're wanting to, if your kids go interested in the mission trip, please just 
come up here, and then in a 10, 15 minutes, we'll grab you if you can stay for the meeting afterwards.